Hi everybody, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches Podcast. Every single Friday from the end of December until the start of February, we're giving you the chance to sample just some of the awesome subscriber-only podcast content that our $5 monthly patrons have been exclusively enjoying over the past 12 months. If you like what you hear in this episode and you want more of it, then all you need to do is become a patron of The Dispatches with $5 or more per month at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Or even easier, you can just click on the link in today's show notes and sign up that way. All of our subscriber-only episodes of The Dispatches podcast are now available on Spotify as well, which makes the listening even easier. One more quick thing before we start this free episode of The Dispatches. In 2024, we're going to be launching an awesome new website called The Forge. The Forge is an online platform that will offer lots of new, high-quality video, audio, and live stream content to help you shape your life and your intellect in the fires of goodness, truth, and beauty. The website is still being built, but there is a splash page that is live right now, so head on over to theforge.org.nz and leave your email address so that you can be the first to know when the forge is live and the fires have been lit. The link is in today's show notes. Right, without any further ado, let's jump into this free edition of the Dispatches podcast. And until next time, don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Conservations, the podcast which got its name by literally combining the words conservative and conversations, which is exactly what happens on this show every month. Each episode we host a conversation with at least one other guest where we go in-depth on a topic or hear about their experiences on this journey we all share together called life. The aim of this show is to foster and promote dialogue which cultivates goodness, truth and beauty and in doing so unpacks the richness of the authentic conservative tradition. My hope is that you'll find these conservative conversations intellectually engaging and enriching and that they will draw you ever more deeply into an authentic, truly flourishing and more meaningfully lived human experience. In this month's episode, we're going to be talking with Jason Winslade, who lives in Canterbury with his wife Claret and their six children. Jason previously had a corporate career before hearing the call to ordained ministry as a Protestant pastor. He has been pastoring a Reformed Baptist congregation in Christchurch for the last 14 years, and when he's not busy with pastoral responsibilities, he and Claret are home educating their six kids. And in this episode, we're going to be hearing Jason's personal story of being present at Ground Zero in New York on September the 11th, 2001, as the 9-11 terrorist attacks unfolded immediately above and around him. But this isn't just a personal account of surviving one of the most harrowing and deadly terror attacks in US history, an event which claimed 2,993 lives and injured almost 9,000 others. It's also a powerful story of the path to conversion and redemption for a young man who discovered in the horror and fear unfolding around him outside the World Trade Center on that warm September morning that there was more to life than career and a hedonistic search for self-fulfillment, and that being ready for death meant a journey into the much grander, transcendent and truly sacred vision of reality that Christianity offers to the world. So having said all of that, 
let's have this profoundly important conservative conversation with Jason Winslade. Jason, thank you so much for being here to have this conversation. Uh, it's it's awesome for a couple of reasons. Number one is because it's just an event that was so central to your life, I know, and mm-hmm. sort of I'm looking forward to sort of introducing our listeners to that aspect of who you are. Secondly, because I consider you someone who's a friend and it's always good to have a dialogue with someone you're a bit more comfortable mm-hmm. with. And um, and I think obviously the timing, It's we're in September. Uh, it is the anniversary of the September 11 attacks and uh, very close to when we're recording now, only a few weeks away. And uh, so it seemed appropriate to talk about this. So let's start right back at the very beginning before we even get into the events of that particular day because you were there when the planes hit those towers. But what were you actually doing? This Kiwi lad, you're 23? Yep. You're in New York. What, what is a 23-year-old Jason Winslade doing in New York? Well, first of all, I just want to say that, um, note that you've actually given away my age. Um, if anyone wants to do the math, um, so don't get out your calculators. Never ask a lady his age. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I mean, I was, you know, Kiwi, yeah, born and bred. I studied at Massey, graduated there. I was working for a, an investment bank, share brokerage company. In- was that your qualification you studied in and went to... Correct. So I was in, yeah, I studied IT and finance at uni and then got straight into an investment bank and share brokerage company um, in my very early 20s Mm. uh, down in Wellington. And then not soon, uh, not too long after that, I went over to the States. And I guess the motivation behind that was really to get, you know, a, a bigger job, better job. And, and certainly um, the financial district of Manhattan yeah. um, was certainly uh, one of the one of the main places to go. So I was going to ask you, was this like the, I don't know, I guess the 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 painter who wants to go to Venice and study painting or the 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 um the person who wants to study medicine at Harvard you know is is this the financial district where you feel this is the this is the mecca of your profession it, it really was yeah and I guess my thinking back then you know my my motivations weren't particularly pure it was <laughs> um it was greed it was prestige yeah. um and and certainly you could get a lot further afar ahead uh, in your career and financially um, working in Manhattan. Did you um did you ever watch uh, Gordon Gecko? Greed is good. Did you Wall Street? Was that? Did you ever watch that original film? Or was that? I, I, not I, quite I, that. Invested. I think I think I was. I think I may have watched it after. You know, but yeah. I haven't seen. I didn't see that before. <laughs> That's so funny because I remember when that that was a big thing. You know, and it was like this sort of elite. Nietzschean sort of strong man who just took whatever finances they want from whoever the weak were around them, and it was all business. And you, you know, you're either a powerful player or a sucker who doesn't deserve to be. In the, it was really awful, wasn't it? Really, that, yeah. that barbaric world. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was very much a reality for many who would go into that kind of industry. Mm. So, how long had you actually been in New York at that stage? You moved over there, go to Mecca to have your big religious financial pilgrimage. <laughs> how long had you been there and working in the Manhattan financial district? Yeah, about six months at that point. Yeah, yeah so I'd been there probably a little bit longer, um, you know, doing a little bit of travel and spending time with uh, extended family members that were over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, about six months at that time. 
Did you know anybody over there, or did you meet people over there? Did you have friends with you? Or? Yeah, not not right in Manhattan itself, um, but I had uh, I have relatives over there. So yeah. uh, my mother's um, from the states; she was born in the states, um, which, by the way, gave me my U.S. citizenship ah. and passport, which meant that I was able to go and work without any um, red tape to have to get through. Oh, that, that's pretty awesome, eh? Um, and so you you're going into work each day, and what are you doing? What what is it? What is your daily routine like when you go to work? Are you you know? <laughs> Sell, sell, sell. Buy, buy, buy. What? What are you? Are you negotiating deals? What are you doing? No, no. So I was, I wasn't in, you know, in stocks or anything yeah. like that. It wasn't yeah. share market stuff. Um, I was working for an IT company, yeah. and that IT company, um, it specialised in trade finance systems. Yeah. And so they, this is when, um, back in that time, they were automating the whole trade finance um, process, and so there would be software development for companies who doubt in trade finance, um, and we would do that in house. But then we'd have to go to the actual companies themselves to go and implement um, the designs for them, basically computer systems. Uh, And there were customers all over the place. Um, So I'd spend about maybe uh, probably two thirds of the time in the office and about a third of the time outside of the office. I was a, um, I was obviously a junior, you know, 23 years old. So I was just following the seniors and, (laughs) and being um, the coffee boy and you know, what, what have you. Uh, But many, many of our clients were in the world trade center. So my work um, at that time was uh, about two blocks. It was on John street, about two blocks away from sort of larger blocks away from the world trade center. And, um, and, Many clients were in there, so it was wasn't unusual on any given week or any given day to actually be going into the World Trade Center. Yeah, I was going to ask. So you actually spent a bit of time in that building, correct? Yeah. What what, right. what was it like? Because it looks and from the outside, and I remember as a young lad, it just looked like this sort of very impressive or two monoliths, really, weren't they? To to sort of um, I guess the American financial and industrial prowess, it, it, it looked like a pretty impressive building to be in. It, it was. It was kind of the the man made version of say going through you know Arthur's Pass, for instance. You know, you're going through the mountains and you see this. <laughs> you feel really small because these yeah. mountains yeah. around you are huge. Well, yeah. this was kind of like the man made version of that. You kind of look up and you feel so insignificant compared yeah. to this, these monster towers. Was it? Was there a status? Do you know within the building? Like the the elites had the top floors, and you know you sort of worked your way down. Do, how, do you remember how high maybe you ever got in that building? Like um, I got to the very top because the, you? You, you could uh, not for work wise, but you could get up from memory. Yeah. You could get right to the very top, um, and there was sort of a lookout area for people to go up, wow. spectators and so forth. So they knew that there would be interest. Um, they yeah. knew that um, tourists would want to come, yeah. and so there was allowance for that. In terms of the um, the status, prestige, or the, I don't, I wasn't privy to that. Remember, I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm a 23 year old coffee boy, so yeah. to speak. Um, I'm entry yeah. level, so I'm not. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't privy to any of that kind of stuff. Nobody knows your name just yet. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, what was it like? Oh, by the way, folks, if you hear noise in the background, we've got the door open here today in my office, just a bit uh, warmer, finally in Canterbury. So there's uh, there's a blind that every now and ra- now and then rattles against the wall, and there's a a bit of the neighbour's dog you might hear as well. Um, but um, you you go to work that morning, the morning of the attacks. You get on the subway, do you, to go to work each day? Correct. Yeah. And, and and you get in. And did you? When did you realise something was amiss? Was it when you got off? Was it when you were coming in? You started to hear news. When's the mo- the moment? I guess you started to realise something's going on here. Yeah. Well, immediately um, getting off the subway. Really, um, I lived over in Jersey City, um, yeah. which was just across the Hudson River, and yeah. like 
only just across the Hudson River. I was, I was, you know, just a stone's throw. Yeah. Um, and it was the accommodation over there was so much cheaper than in, in yeah. Manhattan, probably like a, a tenth of the price. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I could be, I could be at work through, through the subway. Um, I could be at the World Trade Center uh, in less than five minutes from where I live. Wow. So I was very close, even though I was officially living in New Jersey, yeah. I worked down in lower, lower um, Manhattan there. How so, long did that take you to get in each day? Oh, uh, maybe. Well, to, to my, my last on, on my commute to work, the last the, the stop where I'd get off was basically in the base in the basement of the World Trade Center. Wow. So that was my place where I'd get off. Um, I'd then come up to ground level, and I'd walk several blocks down to John's John Street, and that's where my work work was. So you could be there in what 10, 15 minutes from home, or oh, you yeah, got some, on the subway. Sometimes, sometimes even less. Yeah. Wow. So this, you're pretty close. And so you, when do you realise something's amiss? Yeah, so on that, on that morning, um, it's, it's funny, um, I'd actually, I was, I was taking a slower morning. We were on kind of glide time as a yeah. work, as work. A lot, a lot of the corporates were like that. You, you could come in a bit later if you wanted to, finish a bit later if you wanted to as well. Yeah. Um, I was actually a little bit later that morning. So it must have been, I, I can't remember what time, but it was somewhere between 8.45, 9 o'clock. And basically when, when the doors opened to the subway, um, that's immediately I knew something wasn't right because I, there were officials and I, I I don't recall for some reason that there were officials that were wearing official um, uh, uniforms of some sort, not military, but some maybe security or something. Yeah, yeah. They were basically down there and shouting at everyone as soon as the doors opened to get upstairs, get upstairs as fast as you can, go, go, go. Oh, like get out of the building. Get out of the building and yeah. they just and, – and that's all that's all we knew at that point. So – so and I guess this is amazing, isn't it? Because we don't we we really take this for granted today. The age of cell phones and social media, people probably would have known before the train had even stopped. Now, mm-hmm. but but you get out and you're in this sort of shock and awe moment. And had the first plane hit at that stage? Correct. Yep. So the yeah. first one had had, had gone. Into but you the didn't plane. know that. We I knew that I didn't know it was a plane at first. I I actually when I got to the up, up to ground level and looked yeah. out, um, I could see you know huge fire up really quite high yeah. um, and was just observing that at that point. What, what, what does that look like? Like, like it's you, you could actually see, like, I guess, smoke and flames and everything. Oh, like yeah. That. You could see yeah. you could, there was lots of smoke and you could actually see flames um, as well. Wow. And, and it looked – you could see it was actually spreading quite a bit as well. And I remember thinking to myself, well – this is New York City, you know. Um, this is yeah. th- there's a fire. It doesn't look good, but hey, um, New York City. There'll there'll be a, someone yeah. will be able to take care of it. Like it didn't it didn't feel initially like it was something that was way out of control, um, even though it was quite significant. Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to ask you that because it, 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 I guess it, I guess the gravity of it must slowly sink in. Well, yeah, and I, I think for me the gravity started to sink in when I was looking up, and then when I started to see people jumping out of the buildings. Oh, at wow. that point, I think. So you actually saw that, correct? Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, and multiple, multiple people coming, you know, jumping out. At that point, when I started to see, I saw, I could see people waving, you know, and I think you see that on the, yeah. the video recordings, people waving from the buildings. But then, when I actually started to see people jump, and just that, just it was a, it was a long way up too. Yeah. I, I don't even think that some of the videos get, do it justice. Like you're watching a person, a human being flipping around and around in circles, yeah. flying down through the air. And it's not a quick process. You know, I can't no. remember how many seconds, but it was still a number of seconds that you're watching this person fall down to their death. And I think at that point I realized, actually, this is this is not just a, a fire that can, someone can take care of. There's some serious casualties that are happening because of it. Yeah, I remember reading something about this some years ago because I've heard people give these woefully inadequate sort of 
um, attempts at sort of trying to make moral justifications around why they thought, you know, taking your own life would be okay. And they often compare to the World Trade Center. They can they talk about euthanasia, for example, and they go back to that incident. But apparently the psychology of it is that people, when they do that, they reckon the majority aren't actually taking their own lives. Mm. What they're doing is they climb out to the very edge away from the fire, they climb as far as they can, and then what happens is the, the intensity of the fire, it's just an escapable at that point. You know the fire is mm. coming for you. Mm-hmm. And they literally engage in this totally irrational, but in another sense, it sort of kind of makes sense process where they think, well, I've got nothing left to lose. Maybe if I jump, I could survive sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not like I want to end it. They think mm. I've got no, I'm getting away from the fire. Yeah. And they just go as far as they can, which is off the edge of the building, literally. Yeah, I, I agree. It's hard to put yourself in that position and sort of think if you had another 10 minutes before the flames kind of got to you, yeah. that you would jump ahead of time. You you would think that people yeah. are at the very end and they said, you know what, I, I'm either, get, I'm, I'm, I'm literally getting burnt here. Yeah. Um, I, to, to alleviate the burning, I'm going to have to eject yeah. myself out of this out yeah. of this building. Yeah, it's, it's man, it's crazy, eh? But you, so you, you see the fire and then... You're looking up, and you you are there before the second plane. You, you see the second plane coming. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I don't, I can't remember how long I was there, just looking up. I mean, people were looking out. It was, it was, it was, it was just a, it was horrible. It was a horror, th- you know, like, but in real life, looking up, and I, I still remember during that time. I remember hearing kind of big explosions in the background. Yeah, and I remember just thinking to myself, what is that? You know, yeah. there's something echoing through the streets and. It didn't really. It didn't really dawn on me too much at the time. I just thought, well, you know, I don't know what that is, but I was too fixated on people jumping out of the building and yeah. and the fire and, and the fire expanding as well. But I remember watching um, one that was actually really quite close to me, where I was. I was literally just across the just across the road. So there was only a, a little street that was separating me from the World Trade at that point, and and just watching um, a person go and come all the way down, and basically when they hit hit the bottom. I heard the explosion. Oh my god! And, and I realized wow. at that point, this explosion, um, this sound of the explosion that was sort of echoing through the smaller streets of um, Lower Manhattan. There, these were actually people dropping and hitting the ground. And as soon as I, I realized that, all of a sudden I could hear explosions happening oh, very, very frequently, out. like just going off one after another after another. And I remember thinking at that point, these are these are lives that are being lost with every explosion did, did, that we hear right now. Did that ever haunt you afterwards? Did you did you, did you ever come back to that moment, and, you know, in the days afterwards? Because I, I imagine it's, there's nothing like that sort of awful mm. – I mean, no one wants to have that sort of PTSD moment. It just – No. You know? I, well, I mean, you know, I don't know if you we want to talk about, you know, matters of faith following that, but I remember not being a, a Christian, not, not having yeah. faith. But I remember saying, you know, audibly, actually out loud, I said – God do something, not loud, but wow. enough just to, to look up there. And I remember just, I think at that point, and I realized how many people were dying, um, just said, God do something. And so there was, yeah, yeah for me at the time, I, I don't know if there was, I, I don't know how much I thought about that afterwards in terms of the people who actually died, but it did get me at a later stage following the event in the months that followed really got me thinking about, you know, matters of um, yeah. eternity. It got me thinking about life and death and what's beyond the grave. It did get me thinking about that at the later stage. We'll, we'll, we'll come and talk. We'll come back and talk about that. Cause I think that's an important part of the story as well, that even out, out of this great darkness comes hope and mm-hmm. redemption in a sense. Um, 
But uh, yeah, wow. So you you you're looking up. You're hearing these explosions. You realise mm-hmm. that's what this is because like I, a lot of people don't appreciate this. I know, for example, there was a Catholic priest who was actually um, administering like last rites and blessings to firemen going into the buildings, mm-hmm. and he was killed by a falling body wow. that just fell on top of him. And and the, so the danger of that in and of itself is very real. Yeah. And then you you're in this awful situation, and then you you look up and you see plane number two. Yeah, that's right. So I see at just out the corner of my eye, and this would, you know, if, if anyone's looking at the geography of the the positions of the buildings, um, the the building that was on fire was on my right hand. It was the right of the two buildings. That was my vantage point from where I was looking. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, the right right building was on fire, and I remember just seeing last minute um, a shadow coming t- from my left. And that shadow, I just looked up just in time, probably split seconds, maybe two yeah. seconds at, if at most, the shadow of the so plane. So you realise this is not a cloud now, like, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was something that's significant because it was a fine day. It was a really fine yeah. day. And so sun was, you know, beating down on me. And then it, it just, all, all it, it, this, the shadow immediately came. I looked up and saw um, the plane coming in from the left plunge into um, the building that was Holy on the left moly. there as well. So yeah, witnessed um, witnessed that plane go in and enormous explosion. Yeah. Uh, and I remember at that point, because it was so loud, because it was loud and, um, and it was just, yeah, the explosion was large. Everyone who was around me, myself included, we, we turned around. Our instinct was to turn around and start running in the opposite direction. And yeah. I, I probably ran... I don't know, um, maybe two meters or so, maybe maybe a little bit more. And then I felt what I thought someone actually thumped me from behind um, and I fell to the ground. Yeah. And I, as I was on the ground, I kind of looked around me at that point and realized everyone else who was around me was on the ground as well. Uh, and and it re- I realized at that point, actually no one pushed me from behind um, we believe it was the shockwave of the explosion, which took a bit of time to actually come down to actually ripple us, outwards, r- wow. r- ripple outwards, and um, and that's what I. Th- that, so that, that, this that, is quite a forceful explosion. Then you've it, been it thrown to face forward to the ground. It, it was. It felt, well, I mean, I played a little bit of a bit of footy, a bit of, rug, bit of rugby at high school, and yeah. um, like if you can imagine someone coming in behind you unexpectedly and kind of putting their shoulder into your back with quite a bit of force. That's what it kind of felt like. So it was Far, enough to yeah. knock you to the ground, yeah. um, and and um, and that was that was the result of that. So seeing that second plane and knocked to the ground, turned around to see what on earth just happened. A, a second plane has gone in, and yeah. at this point, I didn't actually realize it was terrorism. So you're still not you, you're just thinking what this is maybe an accident or something. Yeah, because you, you're not seeing you didn't see the first plane, right? So you, no. you're not sure what's caused that. I'm not sure there was there was and there was confusion down the bottom because this is a time where we had cell phones but we didn't have data. Yeah. So we didn't yeah. there's no way we could have unless we get to our work and workplace you know yeah. crank up our computers and then get internet access we yeah. we didn't know until that point so we're down the bottom thinking someone said a plane someone said it was just a fire some explosion went off inside there was a bit of confusion down yeah. below as to what actually happened um but when that second plane went in it was like, well, hang on a minute. How how did that happen? You know, how yeah. could could it have been the plane was flying over and it couldn't see through the smoke and maybe that happened, but that caused a lot more confusion because we just didn't know. Yeah, because it's funny. Today we think, I mean, you know, we see someone of slightly Arabic persuasion on a plane and we wonder, oh, 
uh, is this possible terrorist event, right? That's how paranoid we are now. But mm. back then, that was not a thing. No, it wasn't. And so you, you, it, it, it kind of doesn't quite make sense. But for you, it is kind of obvious when you go back to that moment now and realise where terrorism in the West was not a normalised um, pattern of behaviour. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're, you're going through this process of, oh, this plane crashed. They couldn't see. that You know, taking everything else off the list but what is obviously going on in front of you. That's right. Yep. Man. And so you – because I was going to ask – at what point, is that the point where you realise we got to get out of here? Yeah, for me, yeah. I, I thought, you know, this Kiwi boy kind of knows when it's a little bit, <laughs> yeah. you know, think, things feel a little I'm out of my bit, depth. I'm, I'm a wee bit out of control here. Um, yeah. I'm going back to the office to make the coffees. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that was kind of, well, the thinking was like something is out of control. Like there was a feeling like it's not in control anymore. Yeah. And, um, and so basically I ran the two blocks back to my work. I remember looking behind me because obviously you see the two buildings now on fire and many of those who I was standing with turned around after the explosion and basically walked straight back to where they were um, to continue looking up at the buildings because it was just, yeah, I don't know how else to put it. it. There was something, there was a real draw to it because you see this catastrophic, it felt like events in a sense of, and and there was something that really drew you to it. I know yeah. I was drawn for the first time for when I first arrived, but the second is what caused me to basically run back to um, my office, which is a few blocks away. And even two blocks away, we that wouldn't have been far enough away, right? Um, because of once the buildings came down, were you were you still there when they started to come down? I was in my office actually. So when I yeah. say blocks, there were several long blocks, you sure, know, um, quite sure. long blocks down John Street. Um, so yeah, I was. I basically got back to my office mm. um, the, on the television as soon as I walked in. There was it was all over the news, and at that point, I realised it was terrorism. It wasn't just an yeah. accident um, that had happened. Um, went up uh, to my office to my work colleagues. Um, one of them. They were, they were trying to frantically get hold of one of my work colleagues who was actually in the World Trade Center at that time. Um, and so trying to phone his cell phone, but no cell phone coverage because it was all, all the all the lines were jammed. Yeah. Um, that colleague in particular, um, he was actually in the elevator when the um, when the first plane went in. Far so yeah. he was going up and yeah. and and then he, they felt a shake and then basically the elevator came back down to the bottom and it just stayed stagnant and the doors were shut, they wouldn't open. Oh, and man. so even when they tried to push the button, they wouldn't open. So they managed to actually pry, get their fingers in there. You know how you can kind of yeah. do that sometimes? And they pried open the um, the elevator doors and then they were able to get out. And so that colleague ended up in about 10 minutes later coming in the door. But there was quite a bit of concern that Fire, one of our colleagues, yeah. and could have been any of us, because we again, yeah. we... We had we were we were at least up at the world train at, at least one, once a week would be up there. Yeah. So at, at at the at the office we were there um, and just just probably in shock. I think everyone was just can in you shock. can you see the towers from that building? Not from my building. So they're, no. they're sort of um, you're closed off from the view. Of closed it. off at that yeah. point. Yeah. 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 So the next thing on the basically on that on the schedule then after the work colleague gets back we go, what are we going to do? It was just everyone was just. Stagnant. They didn't really know. They were in shock. Yeah. Um, the next thing was the the coming down of the buildings, and so we felt it like it was, it was like an earthquake. I mean, so, I was, so before that happens, you're thinking, "What well, we're safe here? We'll stay here until we figure out and regroup." Is that what you're thinking? Well, yeah, it was just trying to work out what was happening, and we had just we just got word that there was one or two other planes that were still oh, un- yeah, unaccounted, unaccounted for at yeah. that point as well. So we were thinking, "Where where?" Could, it's terrorism. There's a few planes that are unaccounted for. Where might they hit next? 
um, where are our, our, our staff? You know, there was those sorts of things that were happening um, at that point. And many people were trying to contact family members because they knew, you know, working in that area, just wanted to say, hey, we're okay. Yeah. So that's what was taking place around that time. And then you, next thing you know, I mean, how long were you there then when the towers collapsed? I don't, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly. It, it felt maybe like a half an hour or so. Yeah. I, I'd have to look. I'm, I'm sure it's documented somewhere. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're talking 22 years ago <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't have the stopwatch on. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it, it felt somewhere around a half an hour. It, it, it was actually maybe more, uh, more than that. But it, yeah. it was going quickly because we, we were just talking. You know, a lot mm. of talking, a lot of confusion, and um, and it was basically. I mean, I was here for the Christchurch earthquakes. Yeah. It felt very similar to that. Um, wow. of just you know prolonged feeling like an earthquake the whole building was shaking and um we didn't know i, I initially thought it was an earthquake i thought yeah is there an earthquake on top of this wow you know as well <laughs> yeah. and it wasn't until we saw all the all the ash and the debris all coming down our street to the point where you couldn't even if you were out there at the time you wouldn't have been able to see maybe three meters in front of you wow it was that much and and that that um dust and everything just stayed it stayed for a long time <clears throat> yeah i remember that a lot of people didn't quite appreciate that at the time but i know now they're dealing with like firemen and others and rescue workers who have got various cancers like there's a lot of, mm -hmm. of asbestos there was the smoke there was the dust and it just went straight into people's lungs mm -hmm. and so you're inside a building which is probably at that stage relatively safe yep. but you don't know that What's your next move? Well, the next move was to get out of there um, because yeah. we just didn't know what was, you know, we, we didn't know which building had collapsed or anything. All we knew is that we felt this earthquake-like yeah. um, um, uh, feeling. So we were looking outside. Um, we were seeing people fall into the ground, like yeah. you say. They were in, ingesting a lot of the smoke and the dust, debris, that kind of stuff that was coming coming through the air. People actually collapsing outside as they were running past. Um, I was maybe the third floor up in the building, but yeah. looking down, we could see people collapsing. So what we did is um, whipped off my business shirt, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, went to the bathroom wet with it. a couple of work, work yeah. uh, mates. Um, we wet them. Yeah. And, and I can't remember why we did that. I, I, remember, I remember I was initiating it. I, I think it might have been some work on the farm once there was something i remember doing yeah. some farm work when i was a you know as a high school student <laughs> yeah i remember doing something of a similar nature Good old kiwi ingenuity yeah it was and just yeah wet wet the um business shirt around my face and then we just we started to go out from there and yeah. so it was just trying to make our way um through the streets of that lower manhattan to try to get more up uptown and it was quite an interesting feeling because it was this from, you have to remember from from this young this young Kiwi guy, yeah. you know, he's trying to you know trying to make 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 something of himself over there, just trying to go to work on like on any given day. But now here I am with my business shirt wrapped around my face, work colleagues behind me. One of them has a map because we're trying to figure out which streets should we, do we go down. It was really hard to see, yeah. um, and and then we had to start actually strategizing at the time, going, should we shoot down this way? Like which way should we get out of here? One way was where the Brooklyn Bridge was. And I remember just thinking to myself, we, we can't, we actually said, let's not go down there because we know there's a plane that's unaccounted for. Oh, yeah. What if we go over there and that's another big landmark that the plane might go into? So it was it was quite an unusual feel of, again, a young Kiwi guy trying yeah. to think, how do we get out of here? And it felt like, you know, you're almost put into a, a war situation yeah. and strategizing in the lower. And, and you're having to navigate on your feet and you're having to Correct. figure it out, strategize on the go. It's not yeah. like you can't, it's not like you can Google. No, yeah, exactly. That's right. And even if, even if it was possible to phone someone to ask, all the phone lines were jammed, all the cell phone lines were jammed. So, Are you, are you walking or are you running at this stage? Walking. And is it what, there must be a sea of humanity around you. 
Um, yet not as much, not 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 heaps. It was it was hard to see because, like I said, maybe three or four meters in front of you is as far as you could see, but you couldn't see beyond that. So it was our, our visibility was really limited. Yeah. We'd obviously see people that would come past us, but um, but there wasn't heaps of people running yeah. around. Everyone is heading out of town, though. I'd imagine. Yep, heading uptown. Yep, trying yeah. to trying to get up because the other way south of the uh, south of the city where we were, which was just the river, it was the Hudson River, and there's no way to get across there. So yeah. everyone was kind of making their way up uptown. Wow. And so, when do you realise the full extent, I guess, of what's happened? Do you, you must have. It's word must have started to spread. Look, the the planes have hit, towers have come down, and it's terrorism. Yep. Well, we, it wasn't until I got probably more uptown. So one of the work colleagues actually had an apartment up, um, up, up, I can't remember where, but up quite a bit further. So we got out of the smoky area, got up a little bit further. Um, there were drinks being handed out, like there were people in, in their stores that were just giving out free drinks as people were walking by because our clothes and our face and everything were covered with all this ash, this white ash and everything. Wow. Um, so we we go up there. I remember having to stop very, within probably 15 minutes or so uh, into a pharmacy type thing to get some um, equivalent to like paracetamol. Yeah. Um, had a, you know, just a, a migraine headache, which wow. in hindsight, I realized it was actually the probably the force of that explosion yeah. that just shook right through. Must have given the brain a little bit of a shake around. <laughs> yeah. that, my wife says that explains a few <laughs> explains a few things. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So so needing to get some medication just to help with the migraine that mm-hmm. came on pretty quickly. And then finally got to an apartment of one of my colleagues and we basically, we just started watching the reruns of what had taken place. And there was more information at that point, um, plane, Pentagon, you know, there, there's a few things coming together at that point. Did, did the, the, cause they instituted a curfew, didn't they? Um, did, did, that, did that affect you guys or were you, cause I mean, I, I'm like, it's terrorism at that point. There's no, and I guess in that moment, everyone potentially becomes a threat. If you know what I mean, if you're paranoid enough, all of a sudden it's, um, and you know, where's where's the next threat coming from? Yeah, there was that there was that feel, but there was also the feel of not knowing um, what was inside the what were the terrorists carrying in the planes that exploded into the building. Oh wow! And so when I eventually you know got over this migraine of mine and um, and thought I have to make my way back to Jersey City again, it's where my my apartment was. Um, we took a boat across the Hudson River. It was uptown a bit. I don't know yeah. if it's the normal place where the boat would cross over, but it was a place where we could get over to the over to New Jersey. And when we got over to the other side, we were kind of greeted by these people wearing, you know, full body um, hazmat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and these little white tents. And they oh said we were, they were putting us through these white tents and spraying us down um, with water. And I think there was some other substance detergent, in it as well. Detergent, I think, normally. It probably detergent. Yeah. yeah, I remember there's a there's a few soap suds and stuff as well. Yeah. So they were spraying us down with it. And I asked them, why why are you spraying us right now? And they said, well, we just, we don't know what's on you right now. We don't know in the explosion and the buildings that came down. We don't know if there are, I mean, there was talk about anthrax. That was, that was, yeah. that was kind of big around that time as well. So they were just, there was concern that they, they didn't know to what extent, you know, um, so, so you must. What, what's going? I mean, the paranoia must ramp up at that point when someone says, "You know, you may have anthrax on you." You're thinking, "Am I going to go home and and suddenly cook from the inside out?" Or you know what I mean? Like all your worst movie fears must be starting yeah. to pop up in your mind at that point. It, and at that point of the day, I was I was pretty tired. I think at that point it was maybe around about I can't remember maybe 
three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So it had taken a while to get out of, out of the city, get uptown, mm. get over this migraine, get on the boat, which there was quite a few people going over. So it was quite a long wait to get over yeah. to Jersey City. And, um, and, and so it had been a long day. I was feeling pretty exhausted. Yeah. Still, when you get over a migraine, you're not kind of firing on all fours at that point. And so I, I probably wasn't thinking too much about the anthrax yeah. or anything at that point. It was yeah. just like, man, what a, what a day. And you, what, what time do you finally get home? Um, I, I don't recall. It could have been around four-ish, maybe four o'clock. It was definitely later in the day. Wow. So so you got off the, what is it, 8.30 or something? You get off the train around Yeah, there? maybe, maybe it would have been after quarter to, or quarter to nine. Yeah. And it's out of the train, building on fire, next thing plane sitting, yep. next thing back at the office, it's collapsed, and then you're out. And, yep. and, and that it's still, it's like four o'clock or so before you even get home. It took it's a little while, yeah. Far out. Yep. What would normally be, what, a 10-minute journey into work? Mm-hmm. That that's that's unbelievable. Um, do you remember what the atmosphere was like? Um, because obviously you get home then, and I mean everyone. Like I remember back here in New Zealand, mm-hmm. I actually remember I was leading a a school retreat for a mm-hmm. group of high school students, and even the next day we were still watching reruns of the footage. And I like I still remember where I was that morning when I, mm-hmm. I the news of it, and and um, like there was an atmosphere even over here, so it must have been a real intensity of the atmosphere of what's going on it was people were just shell shocked they really they really were and and i think where where i was um i was my apartment in jersey city was just literally across the hudson river so from my apartment i could be looking out and just see um all the smoke um there was a lot of military presence so there were yeah. there were there were jets that were get they're coming over the top frequently you know fighter you know um air force jets that were coming over i don't know what they were doing yeah. um there were um, military helicopters that were flying overhead i don't remember if it was a it was a, a tank like it wasn't wasn't a tank but it was similar to some military um utility vehicles that were driving around the streets where i was at that time and it was just like a, a ghost town. Like no one was out and about. Um, shot, shops had shut down. Um, it was just, you just saw fire across the Hudson River and the, where the world trade was. And just, yeah, it did feel very much like a ghost town. Were you talking to people or like, we? I mean, I guess you must have rung home at some point and said, hey, look, um, your little boy's okay, <laughs> you know. Well, I, What's I going on? I wasn't able to do that and that was probably a, quite a concern to, the, to wow. my relatives and friends back home and even my friends there as well because um, the people who I um, shared the apartment with, they knew where I worked and they knew where I was the only one that my yeah. final destination was a World Trade Center and they hadn't heard from me. There was, again, no, there was no way of phone to get out with the phones or anything like that. So they hadn't heard from me from that morning until four o'clock or whatever when I eventually come in. Yeah. Um, family back home were beside themselves um, because yeah. they, they knew where, you know, they knew where I worked, they knew where I was, but they, for that period of time, which is quite an extended period of, I mean, you're talking, what is it, seven hours or so, yeah. where you just haven't heard yet from, you know, someone who you actually personally know that was most probably at the site at that point. Yeah. It was a long time. So first thing, first point of call for me was just emailing because I still couldn't get out because of the phones, um, but just emailing um, relatives and friends to say, and a big group email to say, I'm okay. Yeah. That, that's, uh, what happens from there? You, you, you obviously you came back to New Zealand. Was it pretty quickly after that? You thought, oh man, this is it. That's come to a literally, I guess it's come to a, a screaming, crashing end. My career in Manhattan. Yeah. Or was it a bit more drawn out than that? How long before you got back to New Zealand? It was only a couple of weeks. So pretty, pretty quickly. So you booked that. yourself a flight, sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, booked myself a flight. Um, see, the thing is, 
there's no way I could actually commute over to my, like it was all cordoned off down the bottom of where yeah. my work was. And so um, there was questions about how can we actually get to where we need to. Um, it was an IT company, so they did have servers off site and they were trying to reconstruct some things. But we yeah. had a lot of um, clients, customers in the World Trade Center. I mean, business had just basically shut shut down. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole wow. lot to do at that point. I was told, hey, just don't come. I mean, there's no way you can come in anyway. Um, and so that was um, the situation. So I managed to go down to um, uh, uh, the Jer Jersey Shore, which is just basically on the, the beachfront. I had relatives down there a couple of hours from there. Yeah. And uh, I stayed with them until I was able to book flights and until flights were open again because they had shut yeah, them they all shut down. Yeah, they shut down everything, right? Shut them all down. And then very shortly after that, I was back, back to New Zealand. What was that like, um, first of all, I imagine there would have been a lot more intense uh, airport security all of a sudden because you would have literally gone from uh, six months prior flying into the States mm -hmm. to all of a sudden flying out under this new intensive, invasive anti-terrorism security measures. Oh, it was pretty intense. I mean, there was military with, I don't know, full-on, you know, assault rifles <laughs> yeah. walking around like everywhere and you had dogs, assault ri rifles and all the rest of it. I remember there was, I felt really, it was, I felt really bad for an Arab um, person who was actually on our flight. Oh, wow. We're all waiting just in those sort of like departure lounges yeah. and everyone's thinking the same thing. We're, everyone's on edge, like big time. And yeah. and you're looking over this one guy and he has, um, you know, he's wearing a, um, a, you know, a head, a head covering head scarf and, and, um, and we're looking at him and we're going, oh dear, <laughs> you know, and that you could tell he was feeling the weight of that as Man. well. Um, there's no way they could have got anything on the plane because it was the, the security was so tight but you kind of felt for those who may have looked similar to those who may have been responsible um, for the others. So. Yeah, because I guess for him, he gets on a flight, and uh, yeah, everyone's thinking about that incident, and uh, and it's just the the fear and the the horror of it all was so raw that um, gosh, yeah, you're right. It must have been. Imagine being that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, a couple of weeks and I was I was back back home again. What, what did you come back to work here or what did you do? Uh, not an, initially. My folks have a um, an ex sort of hunting fishing lodge up at the top of the um, up in Plora Sound actually up in Great top of the spot. South Island. Great so I just spot. thought, hey, that'll be my first point of call. Yeah. Uh, as soon as I got off the plane here, um, the Paul uh, reporters from the Paul Holmes show. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm showing my age. Um, <laughs> they they were there and they basically followed me the yeah. whole way um, from where did I fly into Auckland. Wellington, Wellington, I can't remember, um, all the way down to where so I was So they knew, so so they must have, what, been looking at manifests and figuring out Kiwis coming home from New York or something? I, I don't know what it was, but um, they, they were basically filming me and interviewing me the whole time as I was walking um, wow. basically off the plane until I got down to my folks' place. So they basically just followed me the whole time. Um, and just, I was, I, that was the furthest thing from my mind. I, I didn't really feel like being interviewed at that point. Um, but I did interview and, and I was, they did put a spot on Paul Holmes that night um, about, you know, about the experience. Well, that's another thing we've both got in common. We've both been interviewed by Paul Holmes. Um, oh, yeah, I was on his radio show though. Um, wow. So that that's amazing. They must have, back when journalists probably did their legwork, right? And, and mm -hmm. they must have gone, okay, well, there's this guy, this Kiwi guy. We know he's been there. He's coming back to New Zealand. and. Yeah. Far out. That 
But that's intense though. So um, and that's the so that's still that's a couple of weeks later, and mm-hmm. still there's this interest in Kiwis who have been mm-hmm. in the the hot zone of it all. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, they'd only just opened the airport, so they were just starting to get people yeah. out. It was a while. I can't remember how long. There was probably at least a week or something. Yeah, that they just didn't open um, while they ramped up their security measures. So you're in the Pluris Sound. You, you're away from everything, just trying to get your head back together. Yep. Did you have people? Did it? Did it ever become a thing? We sort of. Once people figured out you'd been there, they were constantly asking you about. It. Did you get sick of it? Did you did um, that become a thing ever or not? Maybe I, I didn't. I didn't really feel to keep on talking about it and running over it. Yeah, yeah. didn't really feel to talk too much about it. But at the same time, I realised there was a, an initial curiosity, so I sort of wanted to leave room for that as well. Did you? Uh, how were you feel? I guess you must have felt relief to be back in New Zealand and to be back on terra firma in a place you knew and uh, away from all of that. Uh, yes and no. I mean, because you have to remember, I went over to the States with a kind of bigger ambitions in mind. Yeah. I had a, a lifetime in mind. And then to have that kind of ripped out from underneath your feet and you didn't, I had no plan B. There wasn't any plan oh, B. Wow. That was the plan. Yeah. And so there was, there's quite a bit of confusion from my side of going, well, this has happened, but what next people would ask me straight away. So, so what's the plan? And I'm like, I have no idea what the plan is right now. I've been yeah. working in this particular direction and now this is no longer a reality anymore. I don't know. I just, oh, I just, I just yeah. didn't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's just, yeah. And since you come home and you're, I mean, the isolation of that must've been pretty intense because it's like, it's like you say, a whole world has collapsed. Yeah. It's not just an event. Yeah. Um, did you know uh, your wife, Clara? Did you know each other at that stage? We did. Yeah. Yep. So we had um, we had dated for a while. We we're still yeah. really good friends before I went um, to the states. Um, yeah. And so, yep, we we weren't married at that point. Um, but yeah, we knew each other and were good friends. So um, this is I wanted. This is the bit I think is probably the most important part of the story. Really, in a sense, is you've talked about that fact that you're standing there, and you say, "God, do something." Probably the you know the, the the prayer of a of an honest man, right? The prayer of of Job, sort of in a sense. Um, and uh, there's this wrestling with God. This beautiful, you know, Jewish tradition. Jacob wrestled mm. with God, right? And and there's sort of this wrestling with God that begins there for you, doesn't mm. it? And and that that tell us a bit about your life before nine uh, eleven. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's the financial incentive and everything else. But how would you describe your life before that point? Yeah, well, I mean, from a purely, you know, from a spiritual point of view, um, God was the furthest thing from my mind. Mm. Um, you know, by nature, I hated God. You know, I didn't want anything that he wanted yeah. for my life. Um, I enjoyed life. I enjoyed the party lifestyle. I um, I, I enjoyed um, the, the drinking. I enjoyed the recreational drugs. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that lifestyle. Um, and I, and for a period, I found, found myself quite content um, in that lifestyle. So... It was interesting that when I went to the States and and this is people will often say, Well, Jason, did you kind of come to faith because of nine eleven? And I and I don't really like to attribute it to that. I say that was just one cog in the yeah. wheel that God was turning yeah. to kind of bring me closer and closer to him. Even before that point, being over in the States, I had friends, you know, and there were always people around me. I mean, you're in a city of nine million people. So it was the strangest feeling that Number one, I was I, I was there constantly around people, but there was this inner loneliness, and and, and at the time, and I remember just thinking, this is strange. Why? Wh- I I thought I'd be feeling better in this situation. So you're than I am. you're you're in the mecca of your dreams. You're on your career path that you always mm-hmm. desired. You're in the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple, mm-hmm. 
Uh, you've got all the hedonism and self-gratification you could possibly want to put your hands on, I suppose, to a certain degree, and you're still not happy. Well, that's that's right. And to, and to compile things, to make things worse, is that I was rubbing shoulders a lot with my older work colleagues in the workplace where I was at. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because as I got to know them, I'd hang out with them after work. In the weekends, they would invite me to their places where they lived, which, you know, very well to do. Um, you know, they'd been in the business for a while. <laughs> They're not um, living in New Jersey. <laughs> they, they are not. They don't even know. They don't even know that name. Yeah, <laughs> Jersey, yeah. Jersey City. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. is that? Um, yeah. But so, so they are living the life that I was hoping to pursue. You, yeah. but what was really interesting in getting to know them well over that over that period of time is that I realised although that they had everything that I wanted materially and in terms of the career and money and all the rest of it, um, they were they weren't happy people. Interesting. They, 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 they were nice people, you know, they were people like friends I could get along with, but they, they were they were, they, had, they came from broken marriages, strained mm. relationships with children. Some hadn't married at all, and so they kind of had all this material stuff around them, but. When you kind of got to talk to them a little bit more, you realized that there wasn't a lot of joy. There wasn't a lot of happiness. There didn't seem to be a whole lot of fulfillment. And I remember as a 23-year-old man, even before, this is even before, before the World Trade, you know, before the, the terrorism and everything else, I remember feeling lonely with, you know, in terms of my surroundings. I was looking to what I was pursuing and going, and I remember just thinking to myself, D- do I need to pursue what these guys are doing for another 30 years only to come out the other side with mm. the same result. And I remember that those kinds of thoughts were going, quite philosophical thoughts were going around in my mind even before that time. That, that's quite a profound, you're 23 at this point, and you're asking those questions already. That, that's like that, There's something really beautiful about that because that, I imagine a lot of people would just be like, oh, well, you know, another, another round of drugs or another round of drinks and we'll just mm-hmm. um, hopefully it'll get better in two years' time or the next big thing that I mm. satisfy myself with will probably fix that problem and just ignore it. And maybe part of that was because of the the weight that I had placed on the fulfillment I would receive by yeah. going to the States to fulfilling that dream, only to kind of get there, settle into it for a number of months and realize at that point, it's not what I actually thought it was to be. And, and I think what happened with the World Trade Center collapsing, that was almost like a, a, a very visible, literal picture yeah. of what was probably happening in my life internally. Like I was seeing my dreams, my hopes, my ambitions, the things I was going for were basically crumbling internally, and then I see the buildings come down materially, and it was quite it was quite the quite the picture. <clears throat> that's quite profound, really, because um, yeah, that's a very visceral sort of sacramental, literal sort of that they almost are like two idols. Mm-hmm. Oh, they were, Absolutely. and they were idols to capitalism, to uh, and the industrial age, and everything mm-hmm. else, and um, also. They very much typify that 80s and through the 90s, probably the 90s was the best, most settled period, I think, in the West, you'd have to say, particularly financially and where everything was at globally. And then that all of that collapsed. And those two buildings, they are not just the symbol of that collapse, but um, it's almost like the Tower of Babel coming down and it's the beginning of, of something new that's unleashed that we've sort of, we're, still, we're living through now. Yeah, and 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 so that's quite a powerful sort of thing for you because you're. It's not just an event for you then; it's really, it's it's wor- literally world shattering. Your whole world you've built is is collapsed. Yeah. So so yeah, it wasn't just the loss of a career, you know, or, or yeah. the career that I had at that point in the states. It wasn't just losing a job. It was a lot more that was going on um, for me personally when that time happened. So when I come back to New Zealand, mm. I'm trying to process all of that. So I'm processing. You know the 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 dashed dreams or the 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 um, perceived fulfillment and it going in a certain direction. I need to find 
that this probably isn't what I was looking for in that particular direction. Coupled with that, there was the reality of my mortality, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about life and death. And I guess that's where I was saying a bit earlier on, thinking through those who had died, um, they were just going to work the same as I was going to work. Yeah, They had no idea that that morning would be their last for, for quite a number of them at, on that particular day. And so it got me thinking about, I guess, the et- thing, eternal things and going, what happens, you know, is there life after death? What happens when a person dies? And, and, and started to think a little bit more carefully around those things. Now, for me, I, I actually went to the Bible. You know, mm. I started to read the Bible. And was that an instinct you had? Why Why the Bible? Um, some religious education in high school. Um, mm. You know, there was some <laughs> religious education um, classes there. Uh, I remember very early on, um, I remember going to Sunday school a, a few yeah. times. I mean, that had ended quite earlier on. So um, in my in my younger family yeah. in family life, but there was some default to when I'm looking for something in a, you know, I wasn't going to Buddhism or Hinduism. It, there would seem to be Christianity was my go-to because there was at least, that was the only thing that I was familiar with at that point. Yeah. So I go to the Bible. I start reading, reading the Bible. Um, I start, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers. I'm going, what is the meaning of life? Is there, what happens after a person dies? Those kinds of questions going around in my thinking. And for me over a period of time, probably about seven, eight, maybe nine months or so, um, I can't really put it down to any one conversation or any one teaching I might have listened to, but just through reading the Bible, I started the Gospel of Luke, I think it was, and just started <laughs> just started reading, wow. trying to look for answers, really. Um, and I think Shine TV was out. It just came oh, out yeah. around that time. So there yeah. was a couple of, um, you know, a lot of it I probably wouldn't re- recommend, but <laughs> there may have been one or two that were in there. I remember, um, I remember hearing, uh, I remember talking to some Christians, as yeah. well, and just about because again, I was looking for answers, uh, and I, and I recall getting to a point after about a nine month period or so, eight or nine month period, um, just just feeling that wow, I've I've actually learnt quite a bit, you know, over this time, and it wasn't until I went up to Wellington again, where I I had lived, I was visiting Wellington, I went into a church, I think it was called the Rock at the time, yeah, just as a one off, went in for a service, I don't remember anything they talked about, <laughs> but I um, as I walked out, there was a little um, pamphlet on baptism. And I took that home and it basically had a list of little check boxes on there. And just, it said things like, you know, um, if, if you believe that Jesus is the son of God, um, if you believe that you have, um, have sinned against God and your sin is against God, um, if you accept and acknowledge that your, you know, your sin deserves the punishment from God, I think there was hell in there as well. Um, if you believe that Jesus, you know, came to earth, died for your sin upon the cross. Um, if you believe that he rose again from the dead, um, it basically went down this down this checklist of of the gospel message. Yeah. And at the end Almost of it, like the Apostles' Creed sort of thing, was it? Kind of, but not yeah. not as it was a yeah, not yeah. S- similar, but little mm. checkboxes. It was it was designed for someone who would be going, you know, do I have enough of of the truth, of understanding of truth to actually yeah. be able to call myself a Christian? You know, yeah. and and so I, I go down this list and and I'm looking at this and and I'd been, I mean, I'd, I'd, I could identify with it all. You know, I'd been feeling, I'd been walking around with that remorse for sin. You know, I had mm. had lived the party lifestyle. I had done all the things that the world sort of offers and says, you'll find joy and fulfillment in these mm. things. I'd exhausted as much, as well as I could all of those things, only to find that there was nothing apart from a lot of remorse, um, a lot of guilt. And and when I when I came to realize the gospel, you know, when I came to realize 
actually my wrong wasn't just against myself or others, but I, I've actually sinned against God here. And yeah. I have a, you know, one day I'm going to have to meet my maker. And it yeah. could have been back then what I have been ready at that time. And, and, I, and, I, and I came to a point of realizing actually I wouldn't have been ready. You know, I wouldn't have been ready to meet God. I wouldn't have been ready to meet my maker. And if, if I was to be put before him at that point, it wouldn't be heaven. It would be hell. You know, wow. I'd, get, I'd get what every sinner deserves. How, how, <laughs> how far after 9-11 is this? This, this is about maybe eight, nine months or so after yeah. that. And so when, when it kind of all comes together, when I, when I came to realize, actually, this is what Jesus Christ has done. He's come as a substitute mm. to pay for my fine, for my sin on the cross, in my place. Mm. I'm, I'm then looking at this little, this little, uh, this little uh, sheet on baptism and I'm <laughs> going and I read down this list and, and I handed it over to Claret, who is now my, my beautiful wife. <laughs> yeah. um, we weren't married at the time. And I remember handing it to her and saying, hey, Claret, I've just read this and I think I'm a Christian. <laughs> is what I said to her. And she she too was on this journey with me. Again, that's a different story, yeah. but a, a parallel journey with me um, in terms of her faith. She read down the little pamphlet as well and goes, you know what? I think I am too. Wow. Um, and it was that very day I went down to my stepfather, who was a very new Christian himself. Yeah. Um, and I, I said, we said, we are Christians and um, we would like to be baptized. Would you baptize us down in the ocean right now? Yeah. And he stumbled around a little bit trying to ask us some questions and, and to make sure, do these guys actually know what they're doing right now? Yeah. I think it may have taken him by surprise. Um, we convinced him enough that we did understand what it was and, um, and he took us down to the ocean and baptized us that very day. And, um, and that was really the, uh, the beginning of, I would say, of the mark of my, my faith walk um, with, wow. with Christ. So. Because um, th- that, that's quite a profound journey. Less than a year later, like this, this is your, um, you know, this is your wrestling with God, mm-hmm. and it's literally, you know, when you say God do something, He did, but not in the way you probably thought or wanted at the time. Mm-hmm. But there was a something started to happen. Yeah, and that's it right. Just wasn't what you expected. Um, you uh, have you still that that wasn't the end of the journey though, in a sense either, because you're obviously you're now a minister, you're a yeah. pastor of a church, mm-hmm. but you're you started out. I guess maybe sort of an evangelical Christianity is where you started. Yeah. And you're yeah. now in a reform tradition. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for me, it started on my day of, of baptism. You know, yeah. obviously I was converted um, at some point before then. I don't know when. I don't know when all those truths all came together, but yeah. that little pamphlet was an acknowledgement to say, wow, yeah. I have been searching and, and I now believe trusting in these, you know, prepositional truths of the gospel. So at that point of baptism, I remember looking, I remember being baptized. I remember looking out over the water in Pelora Sound. And I remember just in the quietness of my own heart, just saying to God, um, you know, God, I'm, I'm either, I'm either not in or I'm fully in. I'm not sitting on the fence with this. And I just want to let you now, let you know, God, I am all in from this point forward. Wow. And, and I guess that, I guess, and theologically, I now look back on that and I go, that was almost more of surrendering to the Lordship of Christ at that point. Yeah. You know, I understood the prepositional truths and I responded rightly to that, yeah. saved. But that was a, a distinct moment that I remember thinking to myself, I'm all in here. But I suppose from my side, what did I have? At, what else did I have? Mm. You know, I, I hadn't really pursued. Again, my, my my the the direction I was heading had been dashed. You know, I, it was I saw the nothingness of it. It had been literally destroyed before my eyes. Mm. I was looking for something else. I was looking for what that purpose, the true purpose in of life, is actually all about. 
So for me, surrender, I mean, it was almost like God brought me to the place where I had nothing else. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'm giving you all from this point forward. And I think what that did for me personally was that it, it gave me hope. It gave me confidence. I, I, if I'm putting, if I was to ever be put in a situation like that again, I wouldn't have the uncertainty of the future. You know, I wouldn't yeah. have the uncertainty of, I wouldn't have the fear of, of death in the same way that I did back at that point, because I know that I'm right with God. I know that I'm trusting Christ. I'm trusting the gospel. And that I know that, you know, my last breath on earth would be followed by my first breath in heaven. I'm not saying I want to die anytime soon, <laughs> no, yeah. but I'm just saying there was something very profound you're ready, about that. You're ready that. when the moment comes. I, exactly. And so previously as a young man to be put into that situation going, I could have died, but now, and, and I wouldn't have been ready, but now I'm ready to meet my maker because of Christ. There was something that changed from that point forward. <clears throat> I am reminded as you're talking, actually, of a scene in a, a film, um, the Batman v Superman movie, and it starts with the tail end of the previous film, the what's it called, uh, Man of Steel, mm -hmm. the new Superman reboot, and... Um, uh, Superman is fighting with General Zod and the buildings are all collapsing and, and um, it's in Metropolis, which is really supposed to be, uh, I think it's supposed to be New York City anyway, isn't it? And um, and the the next film starts with this, uh, where the tail end of the previous one was with these two titans fighting each other and buildings collapsing and people dying mm -hmm. in these collapsing buildings and it looks an awfully lot like New York City and, and one of the, the gentleman there is a manager who works for Wayne Enterprises and he's trying to usher people out to safety out of the building and then he realises in this moment it's his time has come and he's not getting out himself and he turns and I thought it was such a, it's quite a poignant little moment in an otherwise probably just typical sort of superhero film but he turns in that moment and realises he's not getting out and um, he begins to make his final act of contrition, asking for the mercy of God and putting his life before God. And and I thought it was such a beautiful sort of um and powerful reminder of the importance of being ready mm -hmm. for that moment, and yeah. and and I, I I don't know why, but I I think of that moment as you're saying that now, you know, if you were ever again in a situation like that where, where literally the world is collapsing, um, you know, you know, and you have a, a sense of um, certainty and purpose and and mm -hmm. and trust and hope that's beyond. Yeah, you know. Well, don't we all kind of in some way think that we're going to all die peacefully in our sleep in our yeah. mid to mid to late eighties or something, yeah, maybe yeah. early nineties if we get there? We all have this idea, but the reality, and this is mm. what September eleventh really sh showed me and taught me from a very young age to say, we we can't count on tomorrow. Mm. We can't even count on whether we're going to get through the rest of today. We just yeah. don't know what could happen at any at any point in time, and so we would do well to make sure that yeah. if, if nothing else, that we we are right with God. Yeah. And it's quite amazing because it's not just like those realizations have been with us since the beginning in a sense. You know, you someone somewhere throughout all of time has had a moment where they had a massive scrape with death or an almost heart attack or whatever it is, and they go, oh, wow, I've really got a value life. But you, your experiences, you're at the very front line of, I think, literally like a, a, a type of collapse of the Western secular confidence, right? Mm. And this reintroduction of this Islamic religious extremism back into a culture that's lost sight of God and is more about greed. Mm -hmm. And um, like it's it's, re it's so it's not just a sort of personal scare; it's a whole question of um you know what it what is what are we really living for and, mm. and 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 the fragility of everything because i mean one of the things i remember about that period was 
I think we probably all were just very lulled into a sense of Western security and strength. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden it was just a, a bunch of um, terrorists got on planes and in and, and the most sort of rudimentary, very organic and unorganized way. I mean, it was organized, but um, they didn't have tanks and guns and s- super weapons. They just flew planes into buildings and brought the whole of the West to its knees. Yeah, that's you know? right. And, and, that's, and the reality is that I think that's what we have to wrestle with as human beings. We have to realize that whatever we're whatever we're living for if it's materially based yeah. it, it can be taken from us it can be destroyed and removed in an instant mm. um, and so for me I know personally I was I was really wanted to really base my life upon something that was concrete that couldn't be taken away and something that would remain for eternity and this is where living for God wanted to pursue his will that's that's where that confidence came from and and the joy and fulfillment that comes as a result because i know regardless of what you know some crazy terrorists might do yeah. they cannot take that away they cannot yeah. not actually take that away they might take my life but they can't take away the things that i'm working for because they go beyond just the here and the now they are eternal have you ever watched uh docos or films about the 911 event and and if so what's that like for you yeah, um, not not for quite some time. I wasn't interested at first to watch anything about so it. So really. you wanted to avoid it, or I, I, I yeah. did. I, I didn't really want to keep on thinking about it. I mean, there was still for a couple of years afterwards when I'd hear a plane above my head, I would I would look up straight away, wow. and it just kind of caught my attention a wee bit. I felt a little jitter. I felt a little jittery. Um, I I don't think I had. I didn't think I had any post traumatic stress. Um, but those who were around me, um, in in hindsight, and even now, my wife says. You you were you did you had changed for a little while. Um, it may have been a year or so after that. You know, just a little bit a little bit more irritable, maybe a little jumpy. Um, I don't know. Maybe a little, yeah, some of those sorts of things. Um, I, I saw, but I, so I didn't. I kind of avoided watching yeah. things of that nature. It wasn't probably until about I remember seeing things maybe about ten years on. I think maybe that ten year anniversary, and I looked at it a little bit more, and a lot of healing. Had so been that, done. That, that's quite a wee way afterwards. So because yeah. I mean, you experienced hell on earth that day in a sense, and and I can understand why. So it's, but it's full ten years later before you. It may have been less. I I, I just don't recall. But what, there was, what, what there was, was a period that like? Of time. Did you did it pull you back into the moment? A little bit, mm. yeah, a little bit. Especially when seeing the people falling out of the yeah. building. I think that was probably the biggest. Biggest thing for me when I saw that, yeah, because I watch a documentary and I, I see the horror of that, and but it's an abstract thing. Mm-hmm. I guess like for you that that was you lived that yeah that reality. It's yeah, it's a whole different sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. What what's the event itself like? I mean, it's it's a so much is encompassed in this event. Like we talked about, you know, the collapse of Western supremacy and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. But so it's hugely political. It's uh, it, it's also a very personal lived experience for you but it's also a spiritual thing for mm-hmm. you when you think of it now how how do you do you know is do you think of the political context the 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 islamic terrorist aspect of it or is it still this sort of moral uh sort of i guess spiritual personal thing primarily for you probably more the the, the personal spiritual side um i didn't yeah i haven't really thought more into that that side of it the political side or anything like that um, I just, it's interesting. I think I mentioned before, um, <laughs> years on and, you know, some of the conspiracy theories were coming out at that point about, hey, you know, um, could it have been the Americans that had just, you know, had uh, organized these planes on and, and said it was the the Islamic terrorists? Maybe was it, was it an in-house kind of job? And they asked me those questions as though somehow I was an expert on that. Um, I just say, 
I have no idea. So the, the so political, people were actually asking you. They have. They yeah. have even within the last year. Um, people have asked, what do I think? And I'm going, well, I don't know. My opinion wouldn't be any different from anyone else's. I, I wasn't taking notes. <laughs> again, I was the coffee boy. <laughs> you know, the coffee yeah, boy yeah. didn't wasn't privy to that information. So Yeah. Wow. That, that's so – it's, I guess, to be – it's one thing to be attached to an event like that, I guess, in America. It's interesting, eh? There was actually there was certain currency and cachet too that came with it. I remember mm. there were there were some high profile people who lied mm. and claimed I was there. I even know of a New Zealander who, really? who claimed that and wasn't true. Apparently, uh, we found out sometime later. But it so it became like this currency. And mm. but it's, so it's one thing to be connected to an event in, in America that sort of makes sense. But um, do you sort of feel a sense of, I don't know, a bit of a disconnection? Because you're a whole world away. Back in New Zealand, you're a mm-hmm. Kiwi who was there. It's not your country, yep. not your people mm-hmm. in a sense, but you were there. And then now you're back here and, and no one here, no one else was there. Yeah. You know, it's it must be a very odd sort of thing yeah, in a sense. I'm, I'm sure there were some Kiwis that must have been close. Cl- I know there, yeah. was, there were a number of Kiwis that worked in Manhattan. I, I know of that. Course. And I'd met a yeah. number of them, but they weren't, I haven't met any that were close yeah. Um, in there, and I'm sure there are. I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were plenty of them, but I haven't known of any yet. I haven't heard of any. I haven't seen any news articles being written, and maybe there have been, and maybe I just haven't. I haven't seen them at all. Um, so for me, it is a little bit. You know, it is. It is a bit distanced now, a wee bit. I suppose when I'm when it does come up, a lot of times it would come up in my testimony. So when people yeah. are asking me how did I come to faith, and I would as at I was I was in New York at that time. Something I've probably learned over the over the years is to not make too much of a big deal of that because yeah. I feel that the, the the miracle of escaping, you know, from yeah. the what could have been a life and death kind of situation, a death life and death situation, the greatest miracle for me is is not is not that. The greatest miracle was my conversion, which God changed my heart, drew me to Himself at that later stage, and so. I'm I'm cautious on how sometimes I talk about that event yeah. because I don't want to take the shine away from in my life, which was the the greatest thing, which was actually my conversion. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll talk about my testimony of coming to faith, and then I get to the end of it, and then instead of saying, "Wow, isn't isn't God good? Isn't He gracious?" They'll say, "Hey, so let's talk about the the twin towers." And and I feel that kind of take can sometimes take the shine away from, um, yeah, the most significant part of that, which was. What followed? Well, your your life, in a sense, and that experience in particular, is almost um, in a sense. As, as you were talking, I was thinking about this. So, in fact, I remember the first time you shared with me that part of your life, and I remember thinking, uh, it, it, it's um, it's almost it is like living proof of that that um, that claim that people aren't really convinced or converted by miracles. Mm-hmm. The the and, and instead, it's it's um, it's almost the necessity of God mm-hmm. that brings people to that point of. You know, I need God. Yeah. It's not a, I saw something phenomenal or I survived something, so therefore I suddenly realize God's real. No, that, that might be part of the journey, but it's mm-hmm. not the – so the miracle, like you say, is not really in that moment. It's, it's it afterwards. Is. Yeah, and pe- people don't need it. People don't need to see miracles in order to believe that there is a God. They, they need yeah. a change of heart. That's yeah. what they need. And we see, that in the, we see that in the gospel accounts where, you know, the, the religious Jewish leaders come to Jesus and say, show us a miracle and then we'll believe. And it's yeah. like – I mean, how many jolly miracles have you, have you already shown them? They didn't believe. It wasn't a matter of evidence. It was a matter of a heart. And yeah. and that's what that's when I think back to the Twin Towers, that's very much what it is for me. I don't attribute my conversion to the Twin Towers at all. I attribute it to a, a gracious God who reached down and saved me and changed my heart and, and allowed me to, to believe the gospel. Not It wasn't 
some towers coming down that did that work, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh that's such an important point, right? That um that notion of um we we often think the big event comes first, but in actual fact it's uh like I think that there's a there's a real importance in a willful sort of movement towards God, mm-hmm. even if you're not sure. It's like mm-hmm. I think he always rewards that. And and I like I think about our own lives and um I remember there was, I can't remember exactly who it was, but one of the great medieval Christians, apparently he would wander around saying to people, he had a, had a challenge for them. He would say, live your life as if you're a Christian for a year and then see what happens. And if you don't like it, well, great. And if you do, see, you know, and and, and um, there's something kind of profound about that, that sort of, that sense of, um, and in our own lives where we're looking for these big moments when in actual fact, if we don't cultivate the, the object of our faith, which is God, then, then and I don't, sorry, we don't cultivate God, we cultivate that relationship. Mm. We're not going to see any fruit from that. It's not mm. like you have barren ground and you're like, come on, give me a bit of fruit now. It's <laughs> no, no, you've got to seed the ground, you've got to, mm. and then after all that toil, along comes a bit of fruit suddenly, like, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I know, um, you know, there's sort of almost like Hansel and Gretel, a breadcrumb yeah. on the path, but we're, we're constantly seeking out the breadcrumbs rather than the path, if that makes sense, yeah. you know? It can be, and it's always going for the, you know, the novel, you know, being attracted to the novel rather than just being faithful at the day-to-day stuff sometimes. So Yeah. So for you now, um, we'll try and put a neat little bow on this and wrap this up. I've loved this conversation, Jason. It's been awesome. And thank you for talking about it too because, no, like I say, you try not to make a big deal out of it. Um, but um, for you, uh, what's the anniversary like? Do you, does, that, does that signify anything for you or is it just sort of come and go now? It comes and goes, and I often wouldn't say anything. You know, sometimes I have some relatives, and especially relatives still in the States who are kind of around my age, they might do a Facebook post and maybe tag me in it, you know, when it's yeah. September 11th. Um, I personally don't really make, I don't reminisce about, about it too much. I know when it comes. Like I go, yeah. oh, it's September 11th today. But for me, what I do, it's I look around and I and I'm I'm thankful to God. I mean, I have a yeah. I have a beautiful wife. I have I've six beautiful children, yeah. uh, and 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 I look at my life now and I go, it's a time for me to, rem- to to remind myself, thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for being so gracious and sparing my life, and giving me eternal life, you know, and and blessing me in the material right here and now. And it has nothing to do with earning a lot of money. It has nothing to do with being working in Manhattan, but it, it's 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 through those 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 beautiful gifts that God's given to me of, of family, of of church family, of good friends. Those are those are the true gifts that that um that uh, I'm so grateful to God for. Wow, was it always that way, or earlier on was it sort of a bit of a an anniversary that would loom large, or was it always like that for you that you you were I, able to sort of move past it. I, I think I think maybe at first it was a little bit more, you know, a, yeah. a bit more of a time where I, I my my thoughts cast back to there. But I think as 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 I as I married and had a family, yeah. as, as God starts blessing my life and and these you know these treasures that He's given to me, um, then you know that those past memories kind of pale in comparison. Other priorities, yeah. Mm. I guess that first year must have been quite phenomenal because by that stage you're a Christian, right? Yeah. And you've gone from this cataclysmic event, and then uh, one year later, you're now you're a completely new man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, yeah, and 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 very and very much, very much um, that to be the case. And with uh, both my wife and I being converted and baptized, pretty much all baptized on the same day, converted <laughs> roughly around the same time, we yeah. have got to actually learn to um, meet two different people. You know, we yeah. we knew what each other were like before Christ. 
um, and we now see what we are like in Christ. I mean, I love that that scripture. It says that if anyone is in Christ, um, mm. he is a new creation. Uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Wow. And that's been a, a real, you know, Second Corinthians 5, a real just life verse for me because I've seen just the contrast between the old and the new. And um, it's, yeah, God is good. Yeah, if I was uh, if I was a smart man, I'd say that's a really great place to wrap things up. But I, I have one more pressing question I want to ask, and that is this. You've mentioned already sort of conspiracy theories, but what do you, what do you think when you hear people say, no, oh, there was no planes? And they blow up the buildings from the inside out. What 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 does that invoke within you when you hear those kind of theories? Well, if that's the case, then I must have been delusional, <laughs> <laughs> and I must myself and many around me must have hallucinated. Yeah. Um, I don't know the motivations behind those who um, who actually blow up the buildings. Again, I'm not in the political sphere of understanding all the the background of that. But what I do know is that I was standing there. I saw a plane. I saw it explode. I felt the ex- the force of that explosion throw me to the ground. So unless I was completely delusional, <laughs> yeah. um, then I'd reject that kind of kind of claim. Have you ever had moments with people where it's got a bit tense over that sort of stuff? People mm. press the issue a bit too much, and you've said, "Look, mate, I was there." No, no, because every everyone who everyone who I've spoken to who has some questions around that, mm-hmm. they come with a I think a. A, a level of um, um, cautiousness and humility, realizing yeah. actually he was there and I wasn't. Yeah. So I haven't had anyone that's kind of pushed it. Maybe if there was a person that was standing next to me at the time and we wanted to debate, that's one thing. But I haven't had anyone try to push that um, yeah, with me in my conversations. Wow, it's kind of amazing because that too that was the first big conspiracy theory that I mean I mean JFK was always a floating around and the you know the moon landings had a little bit of currency, but but it was that was the first big one where it, there was I remember internet documentaries were being made and people were drawing all sorts of links and and it was very wild the speculation. Mm-hmm. It was the first moment I think where I realised. Um, human beings who are unanchored from a transcendent vision of reality, from the independent mind of God, which doesn't need to be, which holds us in existence, and we recognize that. And as Christians, we say, yeah, this is God. We make ourselves subservient to him. All of a sudden, reality, I think, falls into place a bit better. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you're able to, I think, grapple with suffering and crisis. But this was a moment where I realized a lot of people, that, that had gone. Mm-hmm. I look back now, probably more so now, and recognize it, but they lost that anchor. Mm-hmm. And so what did they do? They just started going into wild conjecture to try and make sense mm-hmm. of this otherwise seemingly uh, not just in, unexplainable but insurmountable bringing of an empire to its knees in a sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Jason, what can I say? Yeah. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> Thanks for sharing with the class, Jason. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I think you're, uh, both you and Claret, you're, I mean, you're good friends to mm-hmm. us. I mean, and uh, it, it's awesome to have another fellow traveler on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think just your faith is a, is a, is a real beautiful witness to, God and his goodness, and that's something that um, I think our world desperately needs more of right now. So thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Nobody move. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Just stay quiet. Nobody move, please. We are going back to the airport. Don't try to make any stupid moves. It's not answering. Somebody's stabbed in business class. And um, I think there's mates that we can't breathe. I, I don't know. I think we're getting hijacked. Anybody know what that smoke is in lower Manhattan? I'm sorry.
Manhattan. A lot of smoke in lower Manhattan. Yeah, right out of the uh, top of the World Trade Center building, the major fire. Hey, can you look out your window right now? Yeah. Can you can you see God about 4,000 feet about five east of your airport right now? Looks like he's. Yeah, I see him. Did you see God? Look, is he descending for the building also? He's descending really quick too. Yeah. Well, that's like 500 feet now. He just dropped 800 feet in like a, like one one sweep. That's that's another situation. Another one just hit the building. Wow. Wow. Another one just hit it hard. Another one just hit the world side. The whole building just uh, came apart. Oh Holy smokes. You got United 93. United 93. South the Shard now. Yeah. It's descended. What's okay. that? I just say it looked like he descended there. I don't there. think so. United 93, verify 350. United 93, Cleveland. Go ahead, Frankie. Back. You have United 93, South the Shard. We hear some funny noises. We're trying to get him. You have him. No. United 93, have you got information on that yet? Yeah, he's down. He's down? Yes. When did he land? Because we he, have he, he, did, he did not land. Oh, he's down? Yes, yeah, somewhere up northeast of Camp David. It's explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! It was on purpose. You saw a yes, plane? Yes, I just saw a plane go into the building. Why do you say that was definitely on purpose? Because it just it just flew straight in.